You are listening to Cambridge Science on Cambridge 105 Radio and your podcast app of choice and the internet also. I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanners, so let's be friends. Welcome to Cambridge Science, where fans of science like me get to sit down and discuss their favourite things from the science news around the world, answer your questions like, why do you sneeze when there's a bright light or how come I hiccup and all sorts of stuff like that. And we will be doing that in the spirit of curiosity and varying levels of competence. So I am in a position where I don't know anything about science, but I am a massive, massive fan. So generally, I'll know the right questions to ask, maybe. I'm informed enough to have the conversation to ask the questions, but I know little enough that I am very often delighted and thrilled with the answers, which I hope you will be too. So over the course of this year, we are going to be getting in touch and speaking to real-life scientific researchers to find out about their lives and their work. But at the very core, it's me sitting down with my friend Andrew to talk about science things. And Andrew actually knows stuff because he has PhDs and things. So hello, Dr. Andrew Holding. Hello, Spanners. Do I have to say doctor every time? I always feel like I should in like reverence um, to your PhD. I mean, it took a long while to get, but you don't have to say it every time. How how long did it did it take to get? Three and a half years. Three three and a half years, but that's already on top of loads of other learning. Yeah, so that's after my degree, which was four years, which was after school, which was however long, and yeah. Yeah, it's just so weird when I compare our lives, because I think I can say words smart, good, like Dr. Andrew, but I was at 15, already had my eye out of the door, and I was like, I'm out of here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my stuff, I'm going to go to exotic, far-off lands like Ipswich and make my fortune. And then I, I, got, I got wrestled and bullied into, no, you should A-levels are a good idea. So I attempted it and failed. But I actually did some clever A-levels, Andrew. This might surprise you. It might do. I, I did. Right, so because you're a chemist, a chemistry guy and a biology guy, right? So you are like legit. They put me, someone who was resisting higher education, they put me into chemistry and biology at a level uh, and i flunked both of them because they're so hard you think you understand it at gcse you get to a level and you go wow it's nothing like what you said the shells aren't the same or anything we just lied to you we just lie the whole no it's not it it develops as it goes right i i I dislike this internet fad of saying oh chemistry's lies it's not it's just simplifications that you know they, they help you build up to the answer. It's not like people walking in science and have the answer on day one anyway. So, you know, some of it's just like working for it like they did in history. I see. So when they say, okay, you see everybody you can remember from your GCSE chemistry, they say that you have the, the protons and the neutrons in the nucleus in the middle, and then round the outside, you have layers of electrons. And then basically, if, if it's missing four electrons on the outside, it'll find something else with four electrons and make a brand new party molecule, and they're all dead happy. And then you get to chemistry A-level, and they go, no. Yeah, I mean, the, the shells, and yes, you're right, there's two, then there's a six and a two, which is eight, and there's a whole thing about completing the octet. It's a simplification, right? But it, it's, it's useful, and it's like, the, you know, one way of solving that question is you go and do quantum mechanics, and you do these equations, and your mind explodes, and... I don't no, want one, to. no one's sitting there wanting 16-year-olds to do quantum mechanics. It's yeah, just yeah. cruelty. Yeah. It would just be better. 
But it doesn't mean it isn't interesting. It doesn't mean it isn't useful. So you, but you went on, you did the whole thing, right? So from 16, you did your, your A-levels, then you go and do a degree course. So you're already 30 by the time you get to that. Then you do a PhD and you're 100 years old. And then you come out of it as a proper, like I want the listeners to know that you're a proper scientist who's done it as a job and done your research papers and, and now run with people and run teams of people who do research. So, like, you're a proper grown-up scientist. Yeah, so you come with your PhD and then you're just starting. And then I've done another 15 years. So you finish your PhD, how old are you? Uh, I would have been early 20s. So, yeah, okay. So, so maybe 22, 23, and then you're, you're just beginning your journey. By 23, I already felt like a, like a broken, wizened, old, middle-aged man. I mean, I then had a kid not long after, so... Did you? Oh, no. Yeah, I, I managed to resist for a little while. But that's not what, what we're here to talk about today. Today, we're going to talk about how awful we both sound. Now, you're going to have to take our word for it, listening, that we normally sound way better and handsomer than than this. It's just that we've, we've both been ill. So we're going to lean on that today and talk about the science of being ill. I was hoping I'd get a really nice, deep deep no. radio voice out of this never really works does it that's out here no. or maybe when we recover we'll be more like hello everyone do you remember from last week we were sounding all gruff uh this is our real voices hello everyone not that there's wrong with having a high-pitched voice this it's all artificial we use eq for everything uh but yeah we have both been ill so you were ill last week when we were going to record we suddenly came down ill me and my wife on saturday in a way that we've never done before so we woke up felt fine she went to work, I saw some friends, and then in the afternoon, we both started getting like a scratchy throat, and then by the evening, we were already fully in flu symptoms, very congested, coughing, and I just can't rem- remember ever getting ill that quickly before. I mean, that's just old age on you. Is it? Oh, so I now, see, see I can't fight it anymore. But I was always I mean, under the illusion that all those symptoms you have, that's your own body fighting the virus. The virus isn't trying to make you cough or sneeze well it isn't isn't right virus is just trying to make more virus it doesn't really care but mm. viruses definitely uh different diseases trigger stuff to spread themselves so they want you to cough but they're not like sitting there thinking you know if i go into spanners and i manipulate this bus pathway this biological pathway and i trigger the coughing mechanism i can spray over as many people as possible notes evolution has meant the one that did that is going to spread better and there's going to be more of it right Yep. So, yeah, it's kind of designed to make you cough and splutter. I mean, you know, if you get one of the things at the other end, they kind of make you spray out yep. as much as possible, which is a glorious image. And anyone who's had a small child with norovirus will um, yes. have experienced so that. So the, the disease, is that the right term? The the virus. The virus is, is trying to do, has, has evolved to do everything it can to spread. Yeah. It's just unfortunate. Why can't sneezing be really nice? Why can't Why can't coughing be pleasant? How come it has to be something horrible that's ruined my entire week? Well, there, there are diseases that are linked to things that are pleasant, but they're, they're a whole different discussion, right? Well, why can't I have those ones? No, fine. Well, because then you have to go to a clinic. So what did I have, Dr. Andrew? Well, from that very limited uh, description I've given you and the fact that all people who have medical or, or scientific qualifications say, oh, I can't make diagnoses over the air or based on little information forget about all of that what what have i got um probably a virus and what's and what's the difference between so a virus like a flu yeah flu i mean could be covid it could yeah. be flu got more things around these days right could just be common cold 
could be this thing called RSV, which is just another viral thing you can get that's going around. Um, or yes, it could be a bacteria. And a bacteria is different from a virus because easiest way to think about this is viruses are like not really living things. There's a huge debate where they are, but they're basically a bit of DNA or RNA in a bit of a shell. And they just make more of it if they get near another bit of life. Whereas a bacteria is like a one cell life form. And um, they're quite different. In that. They're quite different scales, quite different sizes. But they make you feel pretty crap. So is a bacteria more like an animal than a virus is? Uh, I'm going to use the word animal carefully, right? Because like we talk about plants and animals, they're kingdoms of life and bacteria get their own kingdom of life. Uh, they don't have a nucleus, for example. That's quite a big difference from your cells. They have a nucleus to pack with DNA. They just sort of have DNA in the cell. So they, one day there's not going to be, once we're all gone in like a billion years, there's not going to be bacteria people roaming the earth. And there's going to be like a king bacteria, King Derek the bacteria. I mean, something could re-evolve from bacteria, right? It's not impossible, but it would take a very long time. And given how long it took for humanity to evolve, well, not humanity, but just multicellular life to evolve, Probably not going to be bacteria evolving into human anytime soon. Do you know what I think will be next? The, the next apex life form. I've got two bets if we can divert to apex life forms. Number one, crows, the, the, the corvid birds. Because they can do all the clever things, can't they? Like They can figure out that if you put a stone in a well, it makes the water level rise and they can get food. So that, that's, a, really, that's a strong really candidate. Really smart. Yeah. really smart animals and they, of course the thing which is really interesting about them is they have a very small brain size considering how smart they are whereas you know you and i we have like massive brains massive yeah and both we can be outsmarted by crow <laughs> not generally but they solve problems really well and you know there's kind of this thought but most of us think the bigger the brain the more processing it can do and it, is, it doesn't seem to be that simple it's not true I mean, octopus is incredibly intelligent, but their brain's like this weird distributed thing around the body. And elephants are, have got massive brains, but are they not particularly high IQ? Well, compared to a squid, but not compared to you. I mean, all the cephalopods, so that's squids and octopus, are actually surprisingly intelligent. So it's kind of an odd one to pick, but uh, elephants are quite smart in a sense. They use tools. You know, you, you see their trunk to pick up sticks and do stuff. So these are smart animals and... You find a lot of the aquatic mammals, so whales, orcas, things like that, a lot of them have really, really big social structures, right? And they have people, they, people, they have other whales looking after the family yeah. structures. So, yeah, they're, they're not stupid either, but they're well, not building spaceships, which people seem I to think, think is like a sign of intelligence. Well, I, I think they messed up. They all chose the water for its lovely coolness and all the fish. They made their choice. Because once you're in the water, you're not going to involve fire or electronics. There's no Nintendo Wii champion that evolved to aquatic life. So I think they're out of the picture. The, the next ones, I think, are bears. Now, you look at bears. I don't know about their brain sizes, but they walk around like peoples. Yeah, And let's, like, we're assuming that no other primate takes over. I think the bears. You see, you see those bears that stand on two feet and they walk yep. around and their hands are free? I think they're, they're, they're the next one. In fact, it's so soon that I think we should keep our eye out for bears. Did you see the announcement from a Chinese zoo that had to say that bear was not a person in a suit because it looked so, so much like a person? That, and, and that is worth looking up on your internet browser because, yeah, that, those bears, they do look so human. And if you were to make a bear costume and put a person inside, you know those fairground characters where the person's real head is on the neck? So they've got a little see-through bit on the neck and then they've got the fake wobbly head on the top. 
that's what those bears look like. Do you, do you know what type of bears those are? Not off the top of my head, no. Well, I'm going to have to... You're going to have to say things now. Will I, go- will I, I Google? Will Google it, but I mean, there are things about it, right? Because it like had a... Like when it stood up, it had a really... Uh, lots of folds around the butt, right? So it didn't like the fur was sticking on. But that is actually part of how that bear is designed. Um, lots of spare baggage on its butt. So it's I, I've, I've found it. I have found it, but I'm waiting for adverts to, to clear. Uh, it's, this is going to be worth it. And uh, and no. It's going to be a Chinese bear. Yeah, it's going to be... It's going to be the human-looking bear we're describing. Curse you, YouTube adverts. Oh, man, yeah. So I'm looking at it now, and if you search for fur real, F-U-R, fur, fur real, and, uh, oh. and China Zoo officials say bear is not a human in a costume, it is utterly convincing. It looks like someone in poorly fitting pants uh, with a long neck. So I, it's a sun bear. That's the type of bear it is, a sun bear. So I think we need to look out for those guys. If you see them organising in groups or making fire, it is over for the human race. And frankly, the state of this cold that I've got at the moment, there's, there's been a few times where I, I just go, oh, I'm so miserable. It's, it, it's really life affecting. And if you're generally lucky enough to be healthy and mobile, you get hit by something like this. And I happen to have a, a hit attack of sciatica at the same time. So I was just sat in bed just going, I'm useless. I am. It's so it's so humbling. That's the problem, isn't it? It really brings you down to earth. As great as you think you are, this tiny little virus has just won. I mean, it really puts into perspective things like chronic illness, right? You're complaining about this. And then if you there are plenty of people who are dealing with stuff every day, you can't see invisible things in their lives. And uh, yeah, you don't know. Yeah. So that is exactly where my mind went to. So people who are just dealing with chronic pain, trying to treat it, the biggest challenge is getting through the day, managing your symptoms. It's really horrible. So the thing that I always struggle with that always frustrates me is when I'm super congested in my nose. So that is my, what is my nose doing to me? Why the virus isn't, that's not balls of virus stopping me breathing. Yeah, so you have your sinuses as well, which this whole system to manage airflow, moisture, uh, temperature, and uh, if you ever look at like the inside of a skull, it's really creepy. You have all these massive like structures through the bone system, which uh, I I don't like thinking about it. It slightly terrifies me knowing that's in my face. And um, <laughs> do, do you know what I've got yeah. with that? My heart. I I am terrified of my own heart. If I, I ever can understand it, if I ever feel my own pulse, if say I'm falling asleep and I can f- feel my heart beating, I'm like no 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 because it's horrible to think like that's. That's all that's lying between me and not having oxygen in my muscles. Yeah. Yeah, no, don't, don't. Some of these things just, I can't think about too hard. But, ah, uh, yeah, sinuses, grim. But uh, viruses go in there. I mean, yeah, your body progenerates this snot to protect itself. It's a mucous membrane. And that's what really is, is most of the time, keeps you virus-free, right? The snot removes the virus. What would happen that's, if I didn't have the snot? Uh, well, this is the interesting thing. So one of the reasons we get seasonal disease, as because I was doing a quick read of the scientific papers earlier today, is humidity. So as the humidity drops, our snot dries out more, or as they put it, your mucous membranes aren't so moisturised. Uh-huh. And with that, you find that you get more viruses that gang into you. So they, they work really well. So the snot is good. So that's a good sign. That, uh, but but what, what would the virus do if my defences were down? It would cause more damage to me. Yeah, yeah, again, oh. you, you, your viral load would go up quicker, 
you would cough more. You and you know, you can die from viruses, right? It's, it's not. It's, there's not an end game you want to be in. So obviously that would increase if you have other vulnerabilities or if you're older or, or younger. But at 43, Andrew, I'm in my prime. Ain't no virus going to knock me down. I mean, this is why that, you know, it's boring and it's like, it's like do some fitness, get out, do cardio, mm. do muscle training, help your back. Uh, the stronger, the tougher you are when you need it, it will be there. But I, I know what you're saying. I was, what was it, two weeks ago when I was peak with what I've currently just got, which is leading to my wonderful husky voice, as we mentioned. Uh, I was sitting there in bed one night just trying to breathe, and it's just like, I, I'm at the point where if I if I stop thinking about breathing, I'm pretty sure my stomach, my whole chest is just going to give up. Like, just, a, just trying to get air in. And it, I was sitting going, is this, how serious is this? Do, do I need to take this seriously? I've done a COVID test. It's not COVID. But it's, yeah, it, you realise quite how much you rely on your lungs at that point. That's, uh, so I'll probably sound stupid here. During COVID, COVID, like peak COVID, and I can ask you later whether COVID has evolved or whether it's better or worse. But I, I think this was pre-vaccine. So we got a full blast of it, you know, age 41 or whatever, 40, 41. And I was lying on the sofa on my own and I couldn't breathe through my nose, but I was desperate to fall asleep. And I, I, I had a, uh, access to straws. So I experimented, can I put a straw in my mouth and that like, will help me breathe without keeping my mouth open? Because, you know, you, 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 I can't sort of trust myself to keep my mouth open. And then you relax and you go, mm, and then you suddenly find, oh, you're not breathing. That, I mean, I wouldn't recommend it as a choice, but... No. So then I was like, <laughs> one straw, I couldn't get enough air in. So, and I was getting just bored and frustrated at this point. So I tried like several straws. And I think I got to the point where I had six straws, but then they'd go off in different directions. So I added tape. So I effectively, in the end, I had a tape snorkel where it was taping the straws together and then it was taped around me and then I could relax and breathe without having to hold my mouth open. And and that that doesn't feel like that is would be medical advice, but it got me through that evening. Did you get to sleep with that in your mouth? Yeah, not not for like eight hours, but I managed to drop off with my straw snorkel. It's a solution I've never heard before. No, and I, it was a long journey to get there. So you're, but- yeah... But, it, but, you know, this is what they were doing in COVID, right, was of COVID, the pandemic, you know, back when it was all new. And what people were really scared about was this is why you put people on oxygen. You know, they can't breathe. And obviously, you're at the state, you can use straw. But, um, straw snorkel. But obviously, you get to the point people shove a tube down your throat. It's horrible. Um, you don't want that down to you if you can avoid it being intubated. But the they just pump oxygen to your lungs. And the big fear, of course, was, and I think it did happen in northern Italy, or got very close, of running out of oxygen because it's not something you can just buy at the levels they need because it is in the atmosphere, right? But you need to purify out, and that's actually a job in itself. Yeah, well, that, yeah, those, that's really scary times, I think, especially pre-vaccine. You're listening to Cambridge Science on Cambridge 105 Radio. Subscribe on your podcast player of choice or tune in on your dial to Cambridge 105. I just want to just circle around to something you had said when you said working out can help you with your viruses. I just wanted to fend off any emails and save the station manager. I don't think we were suggesting that having strong biceps, you know, if you can can hammer curl the 16s, that's not going to stop you getting a virus. But I think in general... If you have, you know, good physical capabilities, when you're in a diminished state, 
you can cope with just things generally in better. I, you know, I don't think you were meaning to suggest oh, yeah. that we can lift our way out of flu viruses. De- deadlifting is not the recommended solution to virus. <laughs> and, you know, and because we mentioned it, like a lot of the time you see chronic illness, oh, you can solve this just by doing exercise. And the, the flack yeah. those people get back is like, yeah, but I can't actually get out of bed. How am I going to do mm. this exercise? And no, I'm not talking about that stuff. I'm just talking about you. the more you can give yourself spare capacity whether it's cardiovascular, whether it's, you know, is just walking around, like your back, right? If the muscles around there are better set up, you're less likely to get the injury in the first place. So my problem is, I think it's true of loads of people my age, my core muscle strength's terrible. And the simple solution is every time I've ever been to a physiotherapist, you know you can do planks. I know I can. Can you? <laughs> <laughs> it's theoretically possible. Let's just say that. Right, yeah. No, planks are yeah. absolutely horrible. Uh, my little 11-year-old daughter kicks my behind at planks and she's very smug about it because and she's like i'm an 11 year old girl and i've got a stronger core than you i'm like yeah i'm 43 i've got a core of marshmallow yeah but if my back starts to play up i will actually go and do the physio i was told but i should be doing it all the time that's what they always tell me but until i've got the motivation of sheer pain on the horizon doesn't it is very motivating i have to say with my sciatica i'm obviously dealing with it way better than you would. It would kill a normal man. I've been... No, but I'm sitting here doing my old man stretches constantly in and around it. And, and hopefully part of the reason I can effectively do that is because I've got you know general a background of doing the odd bit of exercise if, if I can motivate myself on any given day. But uh, back to our pathetic illnesses. Like, y- you've, been Ill, uh, you've been ill as well. You ended up in hospital. So I didn't end up in hospital. I won. Yeah, well, I fix I mean... stuff at home. I make snorkels. Snot snorkel, patent pending. So, um, yeah, no, I mean, hospital. I ended up in A&E, and it, that was a wonderful example of 111, which, you know, is a great service when you're sitting there at 1am, and I was going, oh, this really hurts, really hurts. And, what was wrong uh, with you? Symptoms. Take me through the symptoms, and I'll diagnose you. So, coughing my guts out. Oh, you have got... Oof, sound, go on, carry on, carry on. Lung, lungs were, like, just burning in general okay i'm getting um, closer to a diagnosis lungs on fire coughing got it i'd had a fever the week before that had actually started to clear up so that was that was a positive um and all down my sort of chest area around where you know where they say you're going to have a heart attack yeah yeah but that part was really really hurting yes and, uh, i basically phoned 111 and said guys um is, is is there any suggestions here i've got some ideas but i've kind of got to the limit of the paracetamol and ibuprofen is going to help me and they said, from what you've said, it sounds like you are currently on fire. No. That's what I would have said. They they suggested that maybe it was pericarditis. Well, hang on. Are we going to have to Google this or can you tell us? Pericarditis. Means the bit around your heart's inflamed. Your car- card- yeah. Cardiocarditis, heart. Peri means spicy chicken sauce. Exactly. So spicy chicken sauce, heart problem. Yep. And uh, he said, yeah, get yourself to hospital, but don't drive a car. And this is 1am with the kids in bed. Oh, my goodness. And uh, went to my wife, and she went... Good, not good, 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 good luck. <laughs> good luck. Um, she looked at me as like, genuinely, very kind person, was thinking she could do it, thinking about waking the kids up, getting car, and I said, you can just book me a taxi. I'm cool with that. Yep. Just, just could you phone them? Because I can't actually talk down a phone. And uh, took a taxi there. Turned up to the local hospital with an uh, 11-hour wait on the door. Oh my! Oh my God! Eleven hours. This is A and E. A and E, yeah. And uh, went to the reception. They went, "Why are you here?" And I said, "One more one." Worried about pericarditis. And they went, 
You can't diagnose that over the phone. Yeah, you're, you're very clearly on fire, they said. No, okay. <laughs> and I was like, yes, I know, that's what I've been saying. It was, it was an interesting moment. You know, this is a late night situation, and it was a classic any moment. We had uh, one person thrown out the building for his behaviour, a couple of police serve another oh, person. No. It was all... Weekend? No, midweek. It was like oh. a Wednesday or something. But it, was a, it was a lovely night. In Everyone done 1am and a and It's not a place you go for fun, right? Uh, but they took me very seriously. Got me in, did an ECG, so I got one of those charts with little the blips on. Oh, yeah, your I heart's that. Fine. And your heart's fine, you're not dying. Uh, and I said, oh, so I can go then. I can go then, because you're not going to give me free drugs at this point, because apparently... I'm, I'm like, no, 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 we, we're sending you round to the same-day treatment centre, which is kind of weird, because this is 1am, right? So this is... Wait, that's open? Uh, and they did another ECG and did a load of blood tests, and they're like, yeah, yeah, we're just checking you haven't had a heart attack. I'm like, guys... Um, could could you give me warning before you tell? Anyway, didn't have a heart attack. Um, so yeah, and eventually they went did chest X ray everything, and they went yeah yeah you got pneumonia. Pneumonia uh, you, you had. Yeah, that's just a fancy word for chest infection. Oh, is it? I I always sort of you know that sounds like a something that people very old people suffer from. For example, and you're not you very can, old. It can do you a lot of harm, right? And the other thing I had was pleurisy, which I'd never heard of before, but that's the swelling of your lung on the outside of your lungs, and that's why it's hurting so much. Oh, my God. How, so how, did you get, how did you get this? How did you get a chest infection so bad that it causes pneumonia and pleurisy? What have you um, been doing? You know what? Just went back to work after Christmas. Right. That was it. So can you pick that up from someone else, and then you end up getting an infection? I, I think, because it happened, I think one of my kids picked up at school, cultured it, and then handed it to me as a gift. We think our one was caused by a, a sauna. So we went and we went to like a, a spa thing. So you go to the steam room, you go to the bubble bath. It was quite crowded. And then, but you think it's probably the, the sauna where it's just a hot room and we can pinpoint, we, we were talking about it the next day and going, who was it? Who was it that seemed dodgy? Who was dodgy looking in there? Who'd gone in there with flu symptoms? And then you start to get angry and you play the blame game of who went out and sat in a sauna knowing that they were sick. So would the person who infected me have known I am probably ill? I could have. Yeah. I could be passing I mean, that on. We don't know, but we're not very good, right, at isolating. And I think we have got better post-COVID in a term culture saying you can work from home, right? Yeah, it's, well, it's a luxury, isn't it? It's a luxury if you can work from home. But certainly pre-COVID, I mean, you, you, oh God, I forgot. HR have this like index, right, of how often you've been off if you work in certain companies and me. And you, you like get told off if it's too high. And it's it, it's really not the thing I want to see because you get presenteeism of sick people who then just infect everyone else. Oh, what, you, even sick my, people being at home. My kids at school have refused to take a sick day before. Complete opposite to how I was at kid, as a kid because they they want that 100% attendance. They get an award. They go, oh, and it's not just them. It's their class. So my daughter said to me, my class is winning the attendance award. I don't want to be the one that lets them down. And I go, oh, okay, so she won that battle. When I was a kid, I'd be doing everything to feign being ill. And then give them, you know, when she goes in, she then infects everyone else in the class. So just a big... But at what level, at what point do you, you know, do you hold people back? With COVID, there was very clear. If you got the little line, then, then that was enough. Whereas in other cultures around the world, if they are in the condition that I'm in right now, you would, as a matter of politeness, wear a mask on the bus or on the train. I think we massively underuse masks. I know there's a whole political side of this, which I just don't want to discuss. But from a biology point of view, that, you know, 
wearing a mask, wearing these masks that filter out these things or limit these things, you know, different viruses, bacteria, different particle size and all that. But fundamentally, they reduce spread. And the best thing we can do is just reduce our spread. Less people being sick, less people in hospital, less people pressuring health service. And if you're a company, more of your staff actually being able to do their job. So I, I think they're brilliant masks. I get why people don't like them. But if it's on someone else's face, it's fine. If they're asthmatic, if they're this, they're at risk. Cool. I, I don't, I'll get a little political. I think that it was a shock to our culture when it was mandated. And they go, well, you have to, to come into this place to do this thing, you must wear a mask. And, it's, and from a culture that was, would never do that, even as a polite thing, then it's suddenly a shock to the system. So I, I can understand why some people felt uh, yeah, a little bit put out. If you were in a country where most people who had a cold would put a mask on just to stop the spread, and then there was a mandate, it would feel more normal. It did feel very alien. I th- but I think what I find odd, like, I, I got that people didn't like being mandated, okay? Government's telling you what to do, that's one thing. But... Um, it's that people get angry at other people wearing a mask. Oh, sure. Okay, no, fair enough. That, yeah. that I have no understanding why. Like, you've you, you got an issue with the government saying you're wearing a mask, but you want to tell other people what they can do. And, you know, if you're in any kind of risk category, you're on a bus. It's full of people. As you say, lots of hacking away. So uh, there's a pluses and minuses to, to working from home now. So that's a luxury I have as a freelance content creator is I do my work from home. I am able to then not go out as much so i've cancelled social appointments i haven't gone swimming i haven't gone to the gym that's my way of stopping myself spreading that infection but that is that's a luxury not everyone can do that but on the downside i've also not had days off so because i'm here say i've been drowsy in bed as soon as i feel well i go well i can do the list of things on my task list because the computer's only there whereas if you're properly ill and don't go into work you spend the day in bed uh, watching, uh, watching. What did I watch? Fargo season five and eating crisps. Whereas I could only do that for most of the day. I know. Watch Fargo. It's right. It's good. Okay. So th- this show will refuse to stay on topic. No, we will try to stay on topic, but I don't mind diverting at all. Mostly because this is my chance to catch up with Andrew on a weekly basis, which is nice. So Fargo season one is is great because it's they they say it's based on a true story, but there's an element of fantasy but the fantasy is only on the edges and there's a lot of mystery and intrigue around you know, murders and crime and stuff like that. And it, it unfolds slowly, but it's a reward and there's a great payoff. So Martin Freeman from Hobbit and The Office was in the first series and then all throughout the series, it's a completely new cast and crew every time. I think Ewan McGregor was in series four, but this one's got Keeley from Ted Lasso in it, who's my favourite, and John Hamm who I love to hate as well. So th- this illness has helped me catch up a bit on my TV watching. So that's that's one of the best scientific reasons to deliberately get colds. That's what Dr. Holding says. I, what? No, this is now all part of the management. This is what I want to talk to you about. Managing uh, a cold so or managing a flu. Let's assume it's flu because then it's more of a heroic story, isn't it? Flu's worse, right? Um, I mean... Compared to what, right? Common losing cold. Losing a leg's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, the flu is great compared to losing a leg, granted. But compared to... Is there a difference between a flu and a cold? Yeah, so there's a difference between flu and cold. Cold is... The common cold's fairly mild. We don't have a vaccine for it because it mutates and changes and just bypasses the immune system in a way that just... We've never got there. But of course, 
other than a snivelly nose, for most of us, it's not really a problem. Flu uh, actually, you know, kills a reasonable number of people every year. We have these waves every winter. And um, it, it's it's a really serious disease that we kind of, when we're fit and healthy, we kind of go, oh, I've got flu. Until you actually have flu and you guys know that was a cold. Flu is this thing that makes me feel really ill. So it's like the difference between a, a bruised rib and a broken rib. is It's the same discomfort and pain. It's just that the intensity and, and length is, is longer with a broken rib. I love the fact in your life that a bruised and broken rib is a more <laughs> notable example than cold we'll, and flu. We'll go, we'll go into why my life has involved so many broken ribs another time. But yeah, I, I, I've had that, that pain in the, in the chest and you go, yep, it's definitely one of those two. But even if you go to the doctor, they say generally they can't tell because they're not going to x-ray your chest, are they? Well, they, they will for lungs. Yeah, but, but not, for, big, not for a boo-boo, not, not for a little snapped uh, into intercostal muscle strained a few of those as well. Oh, you know when you were saying you had the ECG, one yeah. time I pulled uh, intercostal muscle, the ones between your ribs, and it hurt so much. I went to A and E, and thinking like I've got a massive chest pain, and it's exactly where you were describing over on the left hand side. And so if you have a really sharp chest pain on the left hand side of your body, what do you do? You you you, you know you panic and go to A and E. And then I had to have the ECG, and then I felt so I felt so stupid. They were really nice about it. But one, someone triaged you, right? So someone yeah. actually thought you were worth listening to. They, they took you seriously. So it isn't stupid. Do get checked out of your own. It's a thing we're always saying. Because uh, they'll tell you if you're being an idiot. And uh, they'll, be <laughs> poli- they'll be politer about it than that. But they'll say, no. Uh, and the other thing is, you know, you say you're in your early 20s. That's quite a peak time for people to discover their heart isn't great. You know, that's why we see professional rugby players drop dead on the pitch. And it's happened in football a few times as well. Yep. Yep, I'm going to compare myself to those peak athletes. That's what I'm going to do. It's a dream. So, so, okay, difference between a flu and a cold. So we're talking essentially intensity. The way we approach them is is sort of the same, isn't it? Because you're not really going to get a treatment for a cold. You're going to get a a pat on the back, maybe some some flu and cold remedy tablets. So so what should we be doing when we get a flu? I mean, nearly all these things um, are fluids, right? You want to keep your fluids up. As I was saying, uh, mucous membranes, keeping them active, keeping them running, that obviously has the downside that you fill it with snot. So if you've got the snot problem, you can then use decongestants, which will help remove that snot. You can use a nice um, steam, like, you know, don't obviously stick your face into the kettle, but, you know, getting some steam vapor just to sort of get that mucus moving so you can start to breathe because that horrible thing being blocked up. Yeah. But there's... Drugs like um, pseudoephedrine, which is the pharmacy one, there's phenylephedrine, which is in the Lemsip, uh, which isn't quite as effective, if effective at all. And um, Wait, Lemsip, so, so Lemsip, that's the one I, I get the sachets. And, I, my, yeah. and, and so that has the double effect for me because I can then breathe the steam first. Yep, and then once the steam enough. goes, I drink the thing and I, I get your pseudi infrafudi, what's the it? You thing? get the phenylephedrine, right. but you also get the paracetamol. Yeah, and that's key. So I have one of them yeah. like every you know a couple of times a day. Uh, so, haha, I win that argument. My wife said to you earlier on a voice note that she thinks I'm wasting my time with the sachet ones. I mean, it's more expensive than buying paracetamol, but I agree the vapor over them, re- the fluids help, right? Yeah. Uh, taste of lemon. If you like lemon, that's good. Can get the black crown version. Other flavors are probably available. And um, But paracetamol is very much a painkiller. But the other great thing about paracetamol is if you got to the point you got a fever, it's called antipyretic, so it will bring down your temperature. So uh, yeah. if you're getting a really high temperature, um, or even just any temperature, to be honest, 
that can be really bad if it's a, just a medium temperature you can still get quite bad side effects from that like you start getting really really weird dreams i don't know if you have those really weird fever dreams ever yeah yeah your brain goes slightly weird when it gets a bit hot um so bring that down getting your temperature suppressed paracetamol is brilliant for that there's a whole thing if you want to go you can also use ibuprofen which is more of a anti-inflammatory better for muscle thing but that can also bring down temperature Remember, I'm not actually a medical clinician. Yet. No, I'm just a person who reads the packet. Yeah, but um, none of this is medical advice, even if it really, really sounds like it. It's all on the NHS website. Well, we're all we're just talking about the science around it and what they do. Yeah, so the, the anti-inflammatory effect of the ibuprofen would be great for sciatica because that's an inflammation issue. Yeah, that's that's what I'm going for for that and stretching. So yeah. So things you can do for flu. Of course, the best thing you can do for flu is get vaccinated. Right? Should I do that? Yes. If you're, if you're in the categories that get it, I mean, to be honest, even if you're not, just pay for it. Because it's you don't want flu. It, the vaccine isn't 100% effective because the flus change every year. So we have to guess what's going to come. And they put in a, what it is, and you can get the COVID vaccine as well. But they're brilliant. I think, I've been thinking about it for years, but when you're 20 and invincible, you, you roll with the punches a little bit more. Whereas now, solidly in middle age, I, I don't think I want to go through this again. So even if it reduced it, I would be, I'd be happy. It's literally your job, though, to use your I know. lungs and your vote. <laughs> so you're protecting your most important asset in your case. Can I afford not to? So, yeah. So well, yeah. how much am I going to pay for my flu vaccine? I don't think it's very expensive. I think it tends. I, I get it free because I'm just at risk of everything. But um, oh, I wish I was at you can risk go to a pharmacy of stuff. And pay for it. Um, okay. But I've already had it and it's January. So is it worth it this year? Well, they probably won't be doing them again till the, towards the end of the year. So you're probably... All right, I'll be I'll be good now. I'll, I'll be good now then. So I've got my natural. I've got natural immunity. Is that a myth? I mean, you'll have a natural immunity to a flu. It might not be the one you get next week. And the vaccine for flu is multiple strains usually in there. You have vaccine for like because you're asking about COVID. Of course, COVID is slowly mutating and changing over time. So the COVID vaccine keeps being updated as well. Okay, pause there. I want to find out what you know about how the COVID is changing over time. So I'll just clue you in if you've uh, come across us on your dial or you're still here on the podcast version. Uh, I am Spanners and this is Dr. Andrew Holding. And we're science fans. I'm a more ignorant science fan. Uh, but Dr. Holding considers himself a science fan, even though he's got a, a fancy PhD and loads of experience in chemistry and biology. But, but what I like about you is that you then, well, in fact, no, this is a character flaw. In areas that are just slightly outside of your expertise, you are riddled in doubt in a way where I would, well, I've read an article in The Week Junior, so I'm pretty much an expert in photon correlation spectroscopy. What, why do you do that? About what, photon correlation spectroscopy. What, why do experts, why are experts like that? You're the, the most unsure people are the most educated people. Because everything is a little bit more complicated and every time you find out something, it's more complicated. And then someone goes and says, well, you said this last week. He says, well, yes, but then we found out this. Oh, you how should, it goes. You should try being blissfully ignorant because uh, I, I just don't know enough to know what I don't know. Uh, but this show will be an exploration of curiosity and as well as me and Andrew talking about the things affecting us in our lives in a science context, we'll also be looking at some science news items. And we are hopefully going to get in touch with some real life researchers to talk about their work. And when we do that, Dr. Holding, what can I expect? So I'm coming up across somebody. Generally, when are they doing their research? Is this their working lives? Are these, are these PhD people? Who, who does the scientific research? So... So in my lab, so in my university lab, we have me, 
who spends a lot of time actually these days writing the papers and writing up results and writing for funding. So we have to go and apply funding. We don't get our lab funded that. by being at university. Uh, I get paid to teach and then I get given a lab to then I have to find money to start. It's just the model we have here. Uh, and in there, you, you're right, we have PhD students. We have other things called postdocs, which because a PhD is a doctorate, it means you post your doctorate. But, uh-huh. uh, and they're the people who are actually at the bench doing the science post time. Sometimes I get in there to do it. But to be honest, usually everything else is keeping me busy. I don't get a chance. Um, You're like that great fighter pilot that now has to, yeah, as, flies a desk as a squadron leader. Basically, yes. That is, I am, I am relegated to the bench now. But the desk, you, not the bench. You so used, to bench be, lab. used to be Top um, Gun. Now you're whoever yells at Maverick. And that's really how it works. So if you go and ask someone like, "Oh, I saw this research published," you'll get one of two people. Usually, you'll get the person at the front or the end. Uh huh. If you get the old guy at the end, that well, referring to people like me, yep. We'll be like really excited. We'll be the big picture. We'll be like, this is where it fits in our research program. We hopefully still like our work. Uh, you know, you might find somebody got really grumpy, but most of us are. Uh, and the other end, if you get the first, or for the PhD student, they'll be young, looking for the future, uh, but, you know, hopefully still enjoying what they're doing. Still got hope in their eyes. Yeah, it's it's, it's very different, right? It's, it's you know, for them, that could well be their first ever research paper. That will be a big thing. That's a big achievement, right? You put your name to something that will sit around in the scientific literature for and for as long as mankind's around, hopefully. So as, as part of the PhD, but you have to actually further the field with your PhD. Yes. And that's, I mean, that's an incredible benefit to mankind well, to get these young, brilliant brains to go, right, do something no one's done before. But I think it's also misunderstood sometimes because people go like, how on earth do you do that? It's like, well, the answer is there's so much we don't know. Yeah. It's, it's not saying you have to solve uh, all <laughs> the limits in the world, right? right? You're not trying to solve the biggest problems people have. Like, you're trying to make a step forward. Nibble at the boundaries. And, and, and there's, there's really, you know, less, for my thought, if you look at sort of more social science, you might have a question. It's like, in at the moment, what is the biggest pressure on families in poverty income in Cambridgeshire? And you go and do your way, you survey people, you get the data, you analyse, you say, look, I found out that it's the fact they don't have enough money, which it probably is, to be honest. It might seem like, well, we all knew how to start with. The answer is, it's the evidence. And then that evidence of that kind of research would be to go and say, well, how are we going to help these people get the cash? Uh, in biology, it's often like, well, here's a cell, here's a squidgy bit. We've looked at all these other squidgy bits. This squidgy bit, no one's ever looked at. What happens if we, because we now do DNA work, what happens if we delete the gene for that bit? How's the cell change? What's it look like? What's it Really cool techniques, really smart stuff to do it. But there's so many bits in a cell. There's lots of bits that haven't been done like that. So that work for a PhD student is huge amount of work usually due to the technical challenge. Whereas this idea of being totally novel, totally new, that, that bit's actually less difficult to find something we don't know. The question is finding something that you can actually approach and achieve and deliver a result on in three, four years. And that's that's hard. That does sound exciting. So sometimes it'll be like a well-known field, but just a new area of it. So I suppose there's some areas where the people in charge, the, the old sweats like you, sort of know where the next areas of study are going to be. So you can guide people in those directions. But then there must be some fields where there's a, there's a lot more dead ends and, and it's harder for the students to know where to go. I mean, that's what a supervisor's job is, really, is to help the student find out where to go. Um, dead ends is an interesting one, right? You know, we don't... 
this is the this is the big thing with science. We don't often know what the impact is until we do the work. We usually have to pitch it, especially when we're looking at funding, how this is going to help society. And why why do we deserve this money? Because whereas a charity was saying how's it meet the charitable aims, if the government it's usually where's the economic impact? And for health science that's usually well, if people are less ill, that's good for the economy. We've got lots of people who want the money, so why is my thing better than someone else's? And you don't give us results immediately with science. You do the study, it takes three years, and then you go, oh, and this will lead to work that in 10 to 20 years might improve the speed of uh, electronic transfer or, or reduce your flu time by an hour. It depends on the work, right? If you work in very clinical settings and you do a clinical trial, that could have impact really quickly. If you are, you know, just nursing research looking at best practice what people are doing what communities are doing better you can get that through very quickly the problem is there is a temptation to fund that over me who does something and of course i'm going to say you should fund all the stuff very molecular biology and we're like you'll go well how long that's going to take to clinic that is slow for it forever <laughs> this this this, this, be forever. this field of research will never end but but it's worth pointing out most people have heard of about crispr cas9 right yeah so crispr where you can edit your genes Right, not yours, but yeah, it's a DNA editing tool. Um, there's laws against editing people's own genes. Right, that's like, um, yeah, I always get confused with that when they talk about CRISPR. Like, could you go in and give me a gene for? Well, I I could go for a bit of height if I'm honest. Can you give me long leg genes? It's probably a bit late. No, oh, come on. Past the developmental stage. You don't know. I mean, you can do, if you want to get long. So the hormones we know which cause you to be short. We we do know because like. We know what mutations cause a Dutch hound to be a Dutch hound. Right, right? yeah. That's biology's done. If you give the Dutch hound that hormone and just injected them, you don't even need to edit the DNA, you can probably make them grow taller. Is it? Okay, I volunteer for any experiments. If you want to use sure. Dutch, Dutch hound genes for humans, I'm in. But you're not, you're not growing anymore. That's the problem. I'm growing out. That doesn't that count? <laughs> yeah. We had to do it when you were in your developmental uh, stage, not in your Can I stop age. some of this lateral growth and uh, replace it with longitudinal growth? Yeah, it's the bones have stopped growing. That's the problem. Yeah, so your kind of research, it's not jazzy. It's hard yeah, to so, communicate. So, so, and th- th- I tell you what, this is why I want some of the researchers in the area to come and speak to us so that we can, we can kind of make it interesting. Because I, I tell you what, lots of experience speaking to quite, uh, quite intelligent people like you, you guys never think you're interesting. You're always apologising for being boring. I've beaten that out of you over the last four or five years. But you guys' instinct, you you honestly, you all have imposter syndrome. You're doing the most magical things on the planet and you think you're boring and no one cares. But I think this is why this is why I brought up CRISPR, right? When that was done originally, it was a weird thing. They found a bacteria nobody cared about. Then like five, ten years later, someone put together, won a Nobel Prize for it, that it could be used for this genetic editing because it has a load of cool features about it. They didn't know that when they started out. They were just going, does biology work? And I think that kind of science, how biology works, is really, really important. Or, you know, what is the triple point of argon? I don't care today. But maybe that's really, really important for some machine we haven't invented yet. And just knowledge is something as a community, as a society, we want. So you're improving the tools around you. Yeah, so nobody knew that you were going to end up with something where you could manipulate DNA but if if we want to go back in time and say, well, what inventions did we accidentally discover that we wouldn't have had if we didn't do a lot of research and fund that research, you could probably take away so much stuff that we just take for granted now. Yeah, well, isn't it penicillin is famously found because um, it was just left on the side and got mouldy? 
okay. the plates, the lab plates. They didn't wash them up. And because they got moldy, around the moldy, the bacteria got killed. Uh-huh. And then they went on a big worldwide search to find which bact- which molds kill bacteria best and invent. Well, there you go. Got and that's the kind of people that we want to talk to you here on Cambridge Science. So I, I hope that you guys will like it. I hope that you won't mind that we don't take it super seriously and that we will record whether our voices sound like trash or not. And so hopefully we'll bring you a range of science voices from the area as well. But primarily, it's really no more complicated than I like spending time with my friend Andrew because he knows stuff. And you have an endless patience for my stupid questions, which is which is lovely. I would like to extend that to, to you guys. So I would I would like your stupid questions as well. And there's, well, there's no there are stupid questions, but we'll pretend there aren't stupid questions. But what we might try and do, I think, is give a clue to the following week's theme. And and then we'll get questions on that that theme. If we can be that organized, I think we can be that organized. I think we'll try and do that. If not, follow us on our social medias where I will do shout out for, for listener questions as well. So I'm on at Spanners Ready on, on Twitter and you are at Dr. Hold. Andrew Holding. Just Andrew no, Holding. Dr. Just oh, Andrew Holding. Come on. If I had a PhD, I'd be co- constantly like, uh, and your name, please? Uh, Dr. Richard Ready. I'd do that all the time. I would be so smug about it. Yeah, and people punch him in the face for it. Really? You don't, come on, you do it. When If someone I, says Mr. Holding, so, you go, <clears throat> Dr. Holding, actually. The last time I corrected someone, which was about five to six years ago, I was buying a TV in John Lewis. <laughs> and I just negotiated the price down against Richard Sounds, who they price matched John Lewis to Richard Sounds. And um, they couldn't get Richard Sounds to pick up the phone, so they said, oh, well, we can't get them to pick up the phone, so we have to price match what we can see, because it had to be in stock technically, I think was wrong. I mean, he's typing my credit card information. He goes, Mr. Holding. I went, no. And he went, and he just looked at me and just went, it's like, that is it then? I was like, well, it's, it's, it's my name on the card. Right. Oh, is it actually your name on the card? Well, in that case, you have to do it. Your mama must be so proud. Yeah. Um, I think HSBC were the only people to ask for proof of my degree to change my title. Yeah, you can just tell anyone people. else cared. You can just tell people, can't you? Well, a doctor's not a protected title, is it? I, no. I could call myself Doctor of Podcasting. I don't actually know the rules on where it's clearly claiming to be a medical doctor, but medical doctors don't have PhDs. Well, okay, okay, let's okay. That, that's a new feature of the show. Let's see what I can get away with uh, until it's defined a crime and I get carted off on a wagon. So we are short of time, but I do want to finish by asking this that final question about COVID. We feel this flu. We felt like COVID. It felt exactly like COVID, short and sharp, and it's not doesn't seem to be lingering as much. We did the tests. We still have some tests lingering about tested negative. But I always tested negative to the COVID one anyway. And between you and me, I think it's because I wasn't brave enough at home doing it on my own. Because you have to really jab it up your nose, don't you? You stick a straw in your mouth, but you won't stick a <laughs> straw in your nose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've done all the things that have resulted in all those broken ribs, but comes to sticking a thing up my nose and, I, and I'm awful. But when I went to the test centre, there's a bit more peer pressure, isn't there? So I think I did it properly in the test centre. But anyway, my wife does it properly, negative. So the common feeling out there is, well, COVID's just devolved into a flu now. Yeah, so COVID hasn't devolved into a flu. Like flu and COVID are completely different viruses. And if you get a virus expert on here, uh, and you have some, we have some great ones in Cambridge, they will explain that like, that's like saying a pig has turned into a cow overnight. It's, it's, it's not happening. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, it sounds stupid when you say it like that. Yeah, I know. 
So they're completely different. Because okay, so I did have that perception that they were broadly in the same family of things. I mean, the the viruses, right? That's in the same family. I mean, how you define stuff is always complicated. I, I don't know if you've come across the thing that we're technically fish. I love that. Our ancestors are fish, though, aren't they? Yeah, but when you define what a fish is, you can't come up with a good definition of what stops being a fish. So anything that's evolved from a fish basically ends up being a fish. Um, but if you want to define what a mammal is, most people go, oh, mammary glands, right? Because mammals and kind of true. But if you don't go around museums, they often say, yeah, no, it's, it's the ear bones because that's what you actually dig up in a fossil. You don't get to dig up mammary glands. Right, yeah. So definitions are complicated. You know, one person will have one, one will have another. We can do it by DNA whole different way okay can i do it this way then covid has devolved into something that feels more like a flu um you haven't had covid so you don't know well it tested negative but you know okay fair enough they so, were dodgy yeah. old tests you know case of a test yeah that's a good out. point actually, you need better yeah. testing yeah but i mean it, it's it's i think the main the bigger thing is more likely you because you had a vaccine at some point you've had a booster right by this point so it's more likely your body is better prepared, better set up for COVID, is, if anything. Not that it's changed or it has evolved, it has changed, but not in the way that it makes it, oh, it's all fine. All my viral and disease knowledge comes from a mobile app game called Pandemic, I think it's called. Uh, or Plague. No, it's called Plague. It's called Plague. Uh, and Pandemic's a board game. It probably does have a mobile app. It's a good board game. Haven't played it since the pandemic. Oh, check it out. But so... The the thing with the plague is that as a disease, you have to choose how you evolve as, as a disease. So if you choose to be too lethal too quickly, then you infect a lot of people and they all die and then it doesn't spread. So you have to pick that balance between spreading, having enough symptoms to make them cough and sneeze. And then at the right time, you strike and you evolve into something more lethal. But don't in real life, these things tend to actually evolve to be less lethal. Because so that, living hosts can spread your you more? So that's what I was always taught. Like, that's what people always said. When I say taught, not even in class, like, everyone said things get less lethal. Uh, when I actually got... When everyone was, like, an epidemiologist on the internet, on Twitter... Oh, I became an expert. It's like, me, like the Winter Olympics. <laughs> it was really interesting because that thing, actually, when COVID was mutating early on and people getting worried it was going to get worse, a lot of people spouted that wisdom, right, that, oh, it's only going to get less worse. And then people start saying, yeah, but that's never actually been proven. Uh-oh. That's just like a thing we, a lot of people say. And actually, there were points where COVID was doing its best to say, nah, you, you're right, you don't want to wipe out the population when the disease disappears. But there's a lot of people now on this earth in close proximity, and it can do a hell of a lot of harm. And we would have, yeah, it, it's not as simple as that. So um, we should really get a COVID expert. We've got a few of them in the city, and we should bring them in. Let's do it. Now, we haven't been organised enough to think of what our topic for next week will be. In fact, I think we have. You know what? I think we have. Uh, we could talk about uh, tropes of scientists. Because I was picking a promo photo from you, and I picked a photo, or I said, this one's good. You look like a mad scientist. And you said, no, that is a trope from movies. So we could do the portrayal of scientists in movies, perhaps, as a as a segment. We should get people to write in with their favourite scientists from movies. Well, there you go. So why not do that? So at the moment, my temporary email address is spannersready at gmail.com, spannersready at gmail.com. And if you put the subject line, Cambridge Science, and then tell me your favourite portrayal of a, of a scientist in TV or movies or science uh, tropes that upset you in movies. And you can follow us, like I said before, on 
Twitter and I'm Richard Reddy on Facebook and Instagram as well. Something with new projects like this is feedback is absolutely vital. So do feel free to just say, hello, uh, I enjoyed that. Hope you do it again. Or will you stop talking, you weird turnip? I don't want to learn. I'm old and I already know everything I'm ever going to know. Both sets of feedback equally important. So thank you, Dr. Holding. Thank you. Thank you, Spanners. That's me. Uh, This was Cambridge Science on Cambridge 105 Radio. Thank you.